Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is February 3rd, 2021. There have been no NBA trades today, but some exciting Cavs news. We have an all-star whose name is not James and does not have a two in his number. Yes, not Kyrie, not, Ke not LeBron. There's no, there is a zero in it. Shout out Kevin Love, his pass. It is Darius Garland. And we're going to talk about that in a moment with a special guest we'll introduce in, in a moment as well. But first, we got some news around 11 p.m. last night. Unfortunately, Bill Fitch passing away at the age of 89. He was a tremendous NBA head coach. The Cavs for almost a decade. He was their first coach. Very few teams get the same man to lead them for nearly a decade to start their, their launch into the league. He was a steadying presence in the 70s. I and mean, when you look at how bad the 79-80 season was then to the 80s and how many coaches the Cavs actually had and how much dysfunction there was. And everything, we were George Carl's first team. We had rookie Bill Lambeer. It was a very weird period in Cavs history. And Bill Lambeer has the Cavs rookie record for rebounds, by the way. Never got to use that fact before. Hope I never do again because we got plenty of other more relevant things. But Bill Fitch was fantastic. He won a title with Boston, with the Clippers. He's with the Nets. He was with the Pacers. And uh, rest in peace to him. He was 89. He was a great coach for the Cavs. Three playoff trips. You know, the Miracle, the Coliseum in the 70s. He was there for that. But... On to the modern era with someone you all know near and dear. It's his first time on Across the Cavs. He's for his co-host, Carter Shade Rodriguez. Now we have Justin Rowan. He's at Cavs Anodized, the other host of the Chase Down podcast. And that's great to have you here, man. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, I, I think this is very exciting to be on as Darius Garland is named to the All-Star team as uh, a Darius Garland uh, prophet uh, that, that has been shouting into the wilderness that uh, this potential was there. So uh, th this year, uh, obviously, the, the Cavs have exceeded even my optimistic uh, expectations, but Garland getting that all-star nod today uh, is definitely an affirmation that's uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I, I look at the, the poster of Cavs Legends behind me, and uh, I, I need to get uh, Garland uh, added to that somehow. <laughs> a little <laughs> little add-on little little extension <laughs> I, I might have to move Danny DeVito which is heartbreaking but you know Gar Garland makes it worth it Garland is a little bit taller than Danny even by NBA standards like Dan <laughs> Danny DeVito is probably around Muggsy Bogues range we'll put Garland in this Fre Fred Van Vliet height basically Danny DeVito is yeah Fred Van Vliet he's he's an all-star like him too and how exciting is it we'll turn it I want to talk a lot about Garland but obviously you know you're you've been a long time casting like myself but you being in Canada how cool is it uh, for Fred Van Vliet because we love we love Delhi we love Lamar Stevens but they're not all-stars fred van vliet his son is born he goes off in the playoffs then he becomes a starter then he gets a big contract now he's an all-star what what a last couple of years it's a great success story I mean, I mean anytime you see an undrafted player find a footing in the league i, I think it's a tremendous story I, we, we have examples of that with dean wade and lamar stevens but to go that step further this year and, and I, I should own up to this uh, when we did our season previews i picked him to be my pick for most disappointing player in the east like just disappointing relative to expectations because you look at Fred Van Vliet and throughout his career he's never been an efficient player offensively R tremendous defensive player streaky offensive player and I assumed with Kyle Lowry being out that was going to increase the degree of difficulty and for him to rise to the occasion to play 42 minutes a night a lot of these nights and to increase his efficiency while doing that while the NBA made an adjustment to kind of increase the 
importance of defense and allow defenders to be physical once again and and really have an impact on, on guards around the league. For him to step up and do that, I, I think, is really admirable. I was right on the Western Conference, though. I picked Michael Porter Jr., and uh, uh, I, I was right before yes. injury made me even more right. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't want to pay a guy with back issues, like significant back issues, like, okay, he plays a few games in college, he misses his rookie season, all that money. Like, okay, good luck with that. I mean, Denver has a, has a bright future, and that's for – another day but they definitely messed that one up so we'll see how that the and wait, it hasn't kicked in yet doesn't it start next year yeah yeah All it's right. not great not yeah, great good, good luck to them with mpj who's only played a year and a half pretty much in the nba and this is year four regardless though big shout out to van vliet and also free my guy malachi flynn please he doesn't deserve to play four <laughs> minutes you could play him long he was good last year on a team playing at a tampa bay we'll see if that ever yeah. happens again <laughs> but we'll see. All right. So some thoughts I have on Darius Garland and Justin, he's been pretty much every, every episode I've had guests are pretty much what 10 straight, 10 different guests. Every time it's like, what do you think of Garland? And then he talk and then I talk. And what I think now is that as he has a back injury, we, we shouldn't ask him to carry so much weight. I mean, he's been hitting the weight room. He's gotten bigger since he came into the league, but we're not asking him to squat 400, which I feel like he's been doing since Rubio went down. He's been playing great ball. He's putting up double doubles. He led us to eight wins in nine games. And now, look, all jokes aside, you know, back issues can happen, you know, especially with the angles and the handles and the going up, the going down, getting down in defensive position every night for 35 minutes. When you had a couple injury issues each of your first two seasons, it's a lot for the body to take. And he always had sex to fall back on. They, they can't really effectively play more than five to 10 minutes a game with a second point guard now, whether it's Rondo or Goodwin, just based on offensive you know, limitations. I think the injury was bound to happen. I hope we see him, you know, before the all-star break. I don't know the prognosis, but I will say this is effectiveness has been incredible. And I'm looking at some recent game, 32 points on 11 to 25, 27 on 20 shots, 22 points on 10 to 19, 20 on nine of 18, 23 on nine of 20, all while having double digit or at least seven assists in every single one of these games, I mean, we we beat the the, the full Bucks versus we beat the backup Bucks a while back. You know, lost to the Pistons and lost to the Rockets. Don't want to see either one of those L's, but again, they'll, they'll be fine. Do we? Do you? Did you see this at all before the season, Justin? Where Garland has the chance to take this leap and can actually be this All Star we all expected Colin to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I, I was pretty confident about this. And it's something that we we talked about on the chase down last season. Uh, I, I think it flew under the radar because the Cavs weren't having a, a lot of success last season outside of that hot start, right? Like uh, after the hot start, you had a lot of injuries hit them. I, I think an experience kicked in. I, I think some of their early season success was unsustainable. But you looked at April where Garland played 15 games and he averaged 21 and seven very efficiently over that stretch. And one of the things that was really encouraging for me in that time was Garland was making that leap and he was doing it alongside Colin Sexton, who was playing incredibly well. Every time Garland would have a big game, Sexton was doing it. And to me, that was a positive indicator that, okay, Garland can do this without taking away from anybody else. And I, I think what we've seen this season is 
a very unselfish brand of basketball played by the Cavs. There was a little bit of an adjustment period at the start of the year with Garland and Rubio, where Garland, you could tell he was a little uncomfortable playing off ball, but that learning curve was not as dramatic as you would have hoped, right? Like, or that you would have worried. Um, Garland adjusted to it well. His, his off ball relocation game has improved. And even though stats are, are down across the league with, with the changes to the defense that I mentioned before, he's once again, like his stat line is very comparable to what it was in April last year. That became the new baseline. And, and I think for him to do that um, and, and to really kind of step up as a leader, as a vocal presence on the team, um, it's it's a really, really meaningful development in, in a season full of meaningful developments from young players. Yeah, and we've seen Darius Garland draw the praise of Donovan Mitchell, of Stephen Curry. We even had Charles Barkley pronounce his name correctly. Not that you could pronounce a name like Garland wrong, but you would leave it to a guy like Charles Barkley say, Darius Garland. Like, okay, <laughs> okay, Chuck. And Shaq's like, no, it's Garland, Chuck. You know, they go on for 10 minutes and whatever. But seeing the tweet, I mean, I was expecting it. I was a little busy in the 7 o'clock window and the announcements were made, but did see the tweets come through on NBA on TNT. And uh, Justin, obviously, that being uh, everything you just said, this isn't a huge shock that he gets this nod and he's played so well. But what was your first reaction when it became official? You saw the news that Darius Garland is Darius All Starland. Shout out NBA Paint. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done indeed. Uh, well, you can catch my live reaction on the Cavs YouTube channel as we were going live with the Chase Down pod, but I was excited. Um, I, I did a little fist pump. I, I, I think this is really well deserved. Um, given how stiff the competition is at the guard position in the Eastern Conference, I think this is an even more meaningful accomplishment because at the end of the day, it's the coaches that vote for the reserves. They're the ones that make the game plans uh, and know who the focal point of their game plan is when they go up against the Cavs. And there is no denying that that player has been Darius Garland this year. He has been the focal point of opposing defenses. Um, some teams have been able to be more effective in taking him away or reducing his impact now that Sexton and Rubio and Lowry are all out. Um, but really, like he has risen to the occasion. And for him to make the All-Star team in such a competitive Eastern Conference with so many good guards, I, I think it's a real feather in his cap for somebody that just turned 22 years old. Yeah, Darius Garland would be a senior in college right now. And if this was the 80s or even the 90s, we'd probably not see him in the NBA until he's 22. And it's crazy. Steph Curry wasn't in the NBA at this age, right? I believe he he declared after his junior year. So I believe he was a rookie at this age. Well, there you which go. Even so, I mean, it took Curry until his third or fourth year to fully take off. And it, and it took, what, his took Mark Jackson's second year for him and after a couple of years of Keith Smart for that team to finally be good enough. It took getting booed for trading Monte Ellis during a Jersey retirement for Chris Mullen to finally take <laughs> off. It didn't take any of that for Darius Garland. We had our drama. And, you know, and it's had... a pos it's a position. Sorry, I cut you off. But it's a position that usually comes with a pretty dramatic learning curve. I mean, you look at a lot of point guards and they're late bloomers. Steph is a great example of that part of uh, why the Warriors were able to put together that dynasty was one of the injuries he had, but also just there wasn't that consistent level of play. Kyle Lowry, 28 years old when he finally made an all-star team and started making an impact in the league. 
Uh, Fred Van Vliet, obviously an undrafted player, but once again, somebody in their mid to late 20s finally breaking through. Mike Conley, someone that he's been compared to, you know, battling um, in a Western Conference with a lot of good guards and whatnot, but just didn't break through to the All-Star team until last season. Um, so for him, especially when you have DeMar DeRozan for inexplicable reasons being listed as the guard this year, even though he hasn't played guard since he was in Toronto, that made it even more difficult for him to make it in. So this, I think, is a really, really significant accomplishment for him. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some great, great guys named off. People forget that Kyle Lowry sat in Memphis and he had to compete with Goran Dragic for minutes in Houston for a little while. And then the trade to Toronto didn't guarantee him anything because I think he was splitting minutes with Jose Calderon at the beginning. And they traded him away. Masai Ujiri signed off on a trade to send Kyle Lowry to the Knicks for Meta World Peace. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. was in that as well. And it got vetoed by Knicks ownership. Um, The Raptors, like they they tried trading Kyle Lowry away from Mike Conley the year they won the championship because Lowry just wasn't vibing with the team and everything was bad there. They tried trading away that guy multiple times and it still worked out. So, I I mean, that's it's one of those things where, you you know, sometimes things break your way. Uh, I, I think of the Warriors. Uh, who their first priority in free agency was Dwight Howard. They struck out and got Andre Iguodala again. Like sometimes, you know, uh, your plan A not working out can be for the best. Yeah. And how about the Cavs not getting Gordon Hayward back in what, 2014? <laughs> Imagine yeah. if that had actually happened the way that way. But, you know, uh, nonetheless, those are some great, great players to compare to. And gone getting into the young age is fantastic. Also wish that Conley could have gotten – well, they probably won't get in again that he could have gotten in not as a fourth all-star replacement because he deserves better than that for his first appearance. But it still makes up at least a little bit for past years. But, okay, speaking of making up for the past, last night was not a fun watch for the Cavs. You know, we had nice double-doubles for Mobley and Love. I mean, that that's pretty much it. Christian Wood had some big shots at the end. Kevin Porter Jr. angered everybody with that three in the dunk. And apparently I, I didn't see this. We get to that in a second. There was some pettiness with Pangos. I didn't see that on my, on my, when I was watching the game, I mean, Jalen green had his first good game in like three weeks. Uh, the Rockets played four guys off the bench. Three of them were in their first two years. They played another rookie, another third year guy, another third year, uh, second year guy, Jay Sean Tate. Somehow they won. Uh, I know we didn't have Allen. I'm sorry. We didn't have marketing or, Garland, but takeaways from this game, Justin. Yeah, I mean, obviously, third game in four nights, you need to factor that in, especially when you're shorthanded. You're down four out of the top six guys in your opening night rotation. But, and then to make matters worse, Jared Allen gets in foul trouble really quickly in that game where he only plays five minutes in the first half. Um, when you're missing that much, you're in a tough position. Um, Obviously, it's frustrating to lose to Houston. It's frustrating to lose to Detroit. I I think the Detroit loss was purely on effort, uh, that they just did not rise to the occasion. But you you look at this game against Houston, and uh, I mean, the only real positive spin that you can have is just, my God, Evan Mobley is special. Like, he was showing some sauce out there, like creating for himself. And it's just a reminder that even though the Cavs... I know Jared Allen wasn't selected to the reserve team. He should have got in over, over Chris Middleton, um, who who is, you know, coasting as it's his right to do. He's a defending champion. He played in the Olympics. But, you know, he's taking it easy this year. Uh, and uh, I, I just think Allen, at the very least, is an all-star caliber player. But 
outside of the two all-stars, you still have the player with the highest ceiling in this group being Evan Mobley. And I, I think even though it's going to take a few years before Mobley like really kind of gets to his final form, I think games like Houston is a reminder of just how special and dominant he can be, how far ahead of the curve his skill set already is at 20 years old. Um, the, the result frustrating i hate losing i hate losing games uh, when it's this close on the season but if you can rest garland for this week and it means that for the remaining 30 games because there are still 30 games left this season uh you get a better version of him and you can be more competitive and uh you can go out in the four games you have against philly the two games you have against chicago games against miami brooklyn milwaukee if you're healthy for those games and you're going out and, and winning those, that's far more important than these games. So as frustrating as it is in the short term, I, I do understand at least what the long-term approach is. Yeah. And y- you're not going to win every game. No one's going 82 and oh, you know, the Warriors are the best team ever. They still lost nine times and they did lose to Kobe's Lakers in an absolutely random. And I remember this very well. Because you got to watch every game that Kobe plays in his final year. They played a game on ABC. It was one of those. Remember, remember they used to have the Sunday doubleheaders. Oh yeah. Still in the mid 2010s, and I'm sure you don't even remember this game. I think it was the 3:30 game. I was still in college. Went to my usual spot. Got to any every. You're giving me exact times. My goodness. Hey, you know how you know how it is. You know how it is. I mean, it was. It was a 3.30 game, so it was 12.30 for them. Had my Maz sticks, chicken tenders. I was, what, 19, 20 at the time. That's what you, that's what, it's all you have. It's, it's a Sunday. Mm-hmm. You're not doing your homework. You're watching the game. And that being said, Kobe actually does not play the second half with uh, a shoulder issue. Meta World mm-hmm. Peace fills in the minutes. I, I, I'm going to pull up the box score real quick, and then we'll get back, you know, to the Cavs. I'll pull up the Warriors record. But, I mean, you take a look at everything – and the fact that they lost that game, and that's the point I'm making here, mm-hmm. any given Sunday, quite literally, I mean, you're not going to win every single game. Well, especially at this time of year, like, look at the teams that they're trying to overtake in the standing. So I, I think there's a missed opportunity losing these games against Detroit and Houston, teams where you absolutely should have won if you're fully healthy, if you're fully focused, like, under normal circumstances, if this was football where you had six days off to prepare for every single game, you would win that. But at the end of the day, you are talking about, you know, the the real kind of slog of the NBA season where uh, everybody's hurt. Everyone's banged up. Everyone's tired. This is why the All-Star break exists. You have Philadelphia losing to Washington without Bradley Beal. You have Miami dropping games all over the place. Chicago's been losing. Brooklyn's been losing. Milwaukee isn't like uh, isn't dominant right now. And I, I think while you might notice some trends or, or concerns uh with the Cavs or other teams at the end of the day most of the time it comes down to just you know these are these are humans they're tired it's really tough to get up for every single game and in in the case of Houston like they have they're they're not a great team but they have talent right and a lot of those guys have a chip on their shoulder Jalen Green wants to to show up and and show that he deserved to be the number two pick Kevin Porter Jr. has got a chip on his shoulder uh after being traded away from the Cavs uh, Shangun 
uh, seems to think that he's the, the best big man in this draft for whatever reason. And that clearly wasn't the case, but you know, like, uh, and Eric Gordon, I, I mean, he didn't play well, but he, he wants to show that, Hey, someone should be trading for me, especially the, the team in wine gold across from me. Is, is, is Eric Gordon, the guy you'd say you want most uh, to come to the Cavs out of everyone that they're looking at potentially. It's Levert for me. I, I still have Levert at the top of my list. I, I like the idea of Eric Gordon. I, I would be very happy with uh, Eric Gordon. But for me, Karis Levert is the best way to split the difference between what you're missing from Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio. Um, he, not, not the passer that Rubio is, not necessarily the scorer that Sexton is, but you know he, he's in the middle. He, he can get his own shot. He can get to the rim. And for me, the most important thing is dribbling. Like you need someone that can compromise a defense that can get them to react because that's what the Cavs are really missing. Ricky Rubio wasn't even efficient in that role, but the fact that he was willing to do it and the fact that he was willing to get to the rim created driving kick opportunities. It created offensive rebound opportunities. It kept the defense on their toes. And that's what the Cavs are really missing. So you look at this trade deadline and if the number one crown jewel of the trade deadline is somebody that can dribble, to me, that is good. And Eric Gordon is a nice isolation player. I would be happy with him being the answer. But for me, I would rather have a Karis LeVert and maybe with the uh, disabled player exception going in and bringing in a, a shooter. Uh, one of the names I threw out there on the podcast was Nick Batum, whose 3.1 million fits perfectly into that Colin Sexton exception. We can get Nick Batum. I mean, the, the guy he was with the Hornets, we don't remember. We, we ignore those. We, we don't need to talk about that. No. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that because the guy he's been for the Clippers, I don't understand his role. I don't understand the rotation, but it's Ty Lue. So I respect all of it, the games mm -hmm. they've won. And I bet they'll probably have some wacky, ridiculous comeback win against the Lakers tonight because they're inexplicably down 20 when they should be up, just like it was against the Wizards <laughs> and they were down 35. But Nick Batum hits every three he takes when you're watching. I mean, now when someone's actually watching the game, my friend yeah. can confirm this. We were watching the playoffs last year, and the one Clipper, the one Clipper game we watched, I think Batum at six threes, and then he'll come back and score zero when he doesn't watch, and then <laughs> watch. And but just to get quickly, quickly get back to that one game, so I can confirm this was March sixth, twenty sixteen. Lakers one twelve, Warriors ninety five. Splash Bros shot thirteen out of forty, one of eighteen on threes. Warriors only made four. Marcelo Huertas had 10 points in nine assists in this game. Julius Randle had 14 rebounds. Kobe Log, 24 minutes, did not play the majority of the second half. And they had a game-best plus 16 from Brandon Bass, which who had three blocks somehow, which obviously sounds about right. And this dropped the Warriors, by the way, to 55-6. and six. So mm -hmm. you never know. And this was – and the reason, you know, bringing this up, is we, we got to be upset about these two losses in three games. And the one win wasn't even impressive against the team. You should have beaten by double digits. I disagree. But I disagree. I, I think when you're missing this many guys going out there and, and beating the Pelicans without your best player, um, the way that they fought in that game, I, I actually thought that that was impressive. They, did, they didn't have the firepower at all. Um, like when you look at the biggest offensive difference makers from an on-off perspective this season, it's Garland and it's Lowry. And without a point guard and without any like real backup caliber point guard, like Brandon Goodwin's a really nice combo guard, but he's not someone that gets them into their sets. And for JB to make the adjustment on the fly, 
to have Brandon Goodwin with Jetty Osmond in that game for them to compete when they're down a second night of a back-to-back that shorthanded I actually thought that that was a really good win and that was a quality kind of get back to what got you there where they came out and they played really hard and that has been what has made the Cavs so successful this season is they might not have the most talent and the talent that they do have is really exciting and it's got a lot of ceiling it's nowhere close to their final form or whatnot but the consistency the the execution the effort has been really really high um all season long so i actually thought that that was a pretty decent win No, it's, it's a fair takeaway, you know, and the reason I still say it's not, I, I know guys are out, but coming off the loss the previous night, I know you're down a ton of players. You can't have it come down to the final possession because you need to convince yourselves that you're better than that with guys out because we don't know what's going to happen in the playoffs. And we've had winning streaks with, with players on the sideline, but I, I just think the only difference, the win is still good because it's a W in the column and you had Lamar Stevens who's been making big plays throughout and it's probably his yeah. most clutch play since the Hawks dunk, which set their whole winning streak in motion last season. But, you know, you take a look at everything that's happened to this point. There have been a lot of squeak, eat them out wins. There have been a few big wins. I would have just liked to see them win a little bit more convincingly, but nonetheless, you know, you still took down a team that, showed us the first time we can't underestimate them i'm not going to talk about that first game i don't even want to hear about that first (laughs) game because herb jones that was pretty much the herb jones game and he's been great ever since that game oh he's been tremendous yeah because i remember looking at box scores for the first month and he'd play 30 minutes and have alonzo g numbers shout out alonzo g two or three times in 30 minutes we'd be like plus seven couple steals couple (laughs) blocks i'm like why is he starting who is this guy because 3g service baby (laughs) shout out to him big Alonzo g guy i'd uh, get his jersey if there was a place that wasn't a uh, sketchy seventh party website but <laughs> not nonetheless i'm not i'm not i'm not ready to get a custom one either but anyway nonetheless i mean you lost the last one now to houston and my takeaways from this game are you finally fought back i finally was able to pump my fist positively when mobley had the three-point play but we missed 12 oh, free throws. I, I believed when Mobley had the three-point play to cut it to three, I, I fully believed. And, and then mm-hmm. Houston, oof, that escalated quickly. Yeah, oh, That got out of hand. And here are my three big things of those last couple of minutes. Number one, Christian Wood played a lazy game and still hit two big buckets in the clutch. So, like, the more I, negative things I've heard about him from the, from the press and from the media, the more closely I've watched him and the more I realize while he is good and he puts up good numbers, he does not have a great work ethic on the court at all. But he still made the big plays, so good for him. I mean, that's one. Two, I don't know when Kevin Porter Jr. learns how to shoot threes when he's not just playing the Heat because he only shot threes for the Cavs well when he was playing against the Heat. <laughs> he's uh, a streaky shooter. He, he just, can hit them. He can no, knock them down. No, no, I've had him in fantasy this year on both <laughs> of my leagues. So I, I've seen the numbers. I've only watched maybe four or five Rockets games, but I mean, cool. And number three, I give their GM a slight a little bit of a raise because they're still only 15 and 35. They've won not only eight home games and seven road games, but you look at their DNP CDs, Augustine, Tice, Nawaba, Brooks. I mean, free David Nawaba. He's been through a lot, but <laughs> I mean, those veterans are probably still instilling confidence in all of their young guys. So just give, give him a, I can't, 
who is it who, who is the Rockets GM? Who did I believe they? it's Raphael Stone, right? Yeah, Raphael Stone. And yes, you had to move on from Harden. You got over it. You've inst- Porter Jr. and Wood got past whatever incident that was. They probably still need a new coach in a year or two, but just give them credit. I don't know how on earth Garrison Matthews wound up in a role he could play this much throughout the year, but he's literally been incredible. He's the only positive I have to say about Liberty University. You're going to you're going to have a very hard time selling me on crediting the Rockets general manager and the Rockets team building because that is a team that traded James Harden away and decided they did not want Jared Allen that trade. And then they did not want Evan Mobley in the draft. Thank you for that. I appreciate that forever. But at the end of the day, that's we're still a little too close to that for, for right. me to, to give right. them the, the full nod. Hey, well, so you got you got Cavs Anada and you got Cavs America? No. Regardless, regardless. (laughs) I'm sure, I I hope you've never heard that pun before. And if you have, I hope that it was delivered better than that one was. I have not. You have not? Good. You hopefully never heard it. Maybe I'll even edit that out. Who knows? But, you know, not nonetheless. I mean, they've done a nice job. They should not have beaten the Cavs last night. But, I mean, quick, quick mention here, Justin, thoughts on Kevin Love. Because what I've been seeing... I was in the just get rid of him club. I don't know how, how you stood. I'm going to ask you that as well, but he's been great. We kept him still making a lot of money, but he's starting to prove that he can still do it. Yeah. I, I mean, my biggest concern in the off season was, okay, how, how much is he going to buy into this role? Right. And for me, when you look at last year, I think it got painted in an unfair light where the team was being competitive for the first time in a long time to start last season. And he wasn't a part of that. He he was sitting on the sideline and for Kevin Love, a competitor to not be out there to me, that's kind of solidified that, Hey, he's just not healthy. And then you look at team USA and he wasn't able to be healthy for them. He just wasn't moving around. So when I looked at that, I had very little confidence that he was going to be physically right for this year. And the fact that not only has he been physically right, he has come in. He's contributed in a limited role. He He's completely bought in on and off the floor. That's a massive surprise, and it's a very welcomed one because I, I was certainly at the point where I was like, you know what? Like, if he can't get right physically and, and he would just prefer to be in another situation, maybe they, they do need to look into a buyout as an option. And I really felt like when they drafted Evan Mobley, that was going to be a way in my eyes to replace what Larry Nance Jr. brought to the team. You know, that play connector, the guy that makes the impact primarily on defense, but he, he can keep a lineup together offensively with, with kind of that secondary playmaking. And I thought Larry Markinen was coming in to replace Kevin Love because they really needed a stretch big. And I, I really thought that Lowry was going to be that six man off the bench, uh, at least with the bigs splitting time and with Allen and Mobley giving them the spacing that they need. And Kevin Love has been that guy. And Lowry has adjusted to, you know, playing a lot of small forwards. So um, it's definitely been one of my favorite stories of this year. Uh, Kevin Love, yes, there's been highs. Yes, there's been lows. um, But that's still someone, to me, as a Cavs fan, that that has meant a lot. And to, to have someone from the championship team having, you know, like a, a good second chapter, with the Cavs is really refreshing when you look at how Kyrie, LeBron, JR, all these other guys, like the, it just wasn't a happy ending at the end. Uh, so, so to have this with Kevin Love is really meaningful. And now that being said, do you think there's a one, a pretty much hundred percent chance he finishes out this contract with the Cavs? I wouldn't say that. Um, I, I would say that 
history suggests that Kobe Altman is a very active general manager that has good relationships around the league and is always looking to improve. And I would like to see it at this point. I think that there's a real value, but if an opportunity comes along to improve the team long-term, like I, I think you probably have a, a little bit of a premium when you're talking about what you would want in a return, because you have to factor in that veteran leadership, the, the chemistry and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I, I would, if I had to put money down, I, I'd probably say that he'd finish out his contract in Cleveland. Um, but I, I don't feel great about it just because it, the NBA is a business and all opportunities to improve. I, I have to believe that they'd be explored. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see how, how it does end up going that way. I'd love to see it as well. But nonetheless, he had such a great season. I mean, it, complete surprise to me. Did not see any of this coming. I knew he'll hit some shots, but he'll be highly inconsistent. It's been the exact opposite. He's gotten his rebounds, and he's done so many great things. And a big part of his recent success has been the addition of Rajon Rondo, who I just see setting the table for him so nicely. Justin, for the Cavs to have any chance at a playoff run, do they need another point guard, or can Rondo and Goodwin suffice as the backups? So I, I don't think that that's as straightforward of a question as it's being presented here because you need another playmaker. And traditionally, that comes from the point guard position. But I do think that if you were to bring in a Karis LeVert type, like someone that can, you know, he, he plays point guard every now and then, right? Like some, uh, a big guard or a big wing that can provide that secondary playmaking, then I, I think you're okay with Brandon Goodwin. Uh, I think you're okay with Rondo playing spot minutes and whatnot. If the players that you bring in are maybe like a Buddy Heald, uh, or let's say Buddy Heald and Nick Batum, hypothetically, that that's the, the trade deadline for the Cavs. I think you you need a backup point guard. Like I, I think you'd need to go out and find like a DJ Augustine or or Patrick Beverly, who's apparently being shopped. Some, someone Crazy. that can can get uh, guys into their sets and whatnot. So what uh, what I really think they need is that secondary creation as a skill set, and it doesn't necessarily have to come from the point guard position. But in a vacuum, I probably wouldn't feel great about Rondo and Goodwin as the backup point guard as much as I, I do value their contributions. Like, I think Goodwin is a really great find. I'm really happy he's around. I, I think having a combo guard like him helps. Um, but the the level of playmaking that you need in, in the NBA, like you need to have multiple guys that can do it at a high level. I don't think they're necessarily up to kind of the, the standard that you'll need going against a Milwaukee in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess, you know, we'll see how things pan out. I'd love to see another guard added, you know, absolutely. If we got Buddy Heald and Nick Batum, I would I would jump so high that I go through the roof, I go through the clouds and end up on a planet where I have to explain <laughs> what's happening with basketball because thinking about everything Batum's been through for his, the duration of his career, he had some great mentors early on in Portland. He played really well as soon as he took over for Gerald Wallace for a couple of years, which led to a crazy payday. Probably didn't deserve, but it was the timing and like he deserved it, but not, not that amount of money from Charlotte ended up sinking them for several years. Plus he fell out of the rotation for a couple, found a new start with the Clippers. Obviously Tyler knows how to coach guys very well. It's why he helped the Cavs get the title. It's why, you know, he became the Clippers guy as soon as it wasn't working with doc. And it's why it's how he had them within two wins of the finals. And I have no, no doubt next year, that if they have both of their guys healthy, that they'll they'll be in the discussion. But and then Buddy Heald, I mean, I just watched him at MSG on Monday. Absolutely, no conscience, 
no, no conscience. No I, conscience. I, know that. I, I do too, because there's some days, you know, where he's electric, he gets hot, he can score 30. I mean, we'll, we'll see. And any thoughts on Gary Harris? I know he's not the number one. He's probably not even your number two, but I, I floated him a couple times. Is it perhaps a guy who has a oh, – he, he can handle the ball. He's not going to create plays for others. He can handle the ball. He can knock down threes and defend. I, I basically look at him as a slightly more complete version of a coral with a little less lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think he's available. I, I think he's available too. Uh, I'm not as enamored with Gary Harris. Uh, health concerns are a little bit of an issue. The, the jumper hasn't been great the last few years. It's been better this year. Um, but he is a good veteran. I, I wouldn't complain. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure the the Cavs are aiming higher. But at the end of the day, like you, you have no control over who's at you on the market and who teams are actually willing to part with. So if Gary Harris was, was part of the the deadline package of who they bring in, I I, I wouldn't be disappointed with that. I I think that he he could absolutely be a valuable contributor to them. Yeah, so I guess we'll have to see what ends up happening. It's going to be a long week. Uh, my guess is we're probably going to start seeing a trade or two trickling over the weekend. And then the Cavs, I would assume it's all going to be Thursday. Nothing before. And I guess we're going to have to keep note of the rotation and who sits because the Cavs do play on Wednesday. So whoever sits, who's normally in the rotation, might be a prelude into what they're trying to do. And now, that being said, we talk about who they want to bring in. We'll close with this. Justin, who are the guys you think the Cavs are going to have to trade if you want to get the Leverts or the Heels, et cetera? I don't think anyone in the 24-under club of Garland, Mobley, Allen, Sexton, Okoro, and Lowry get traded. Um, I, I just don't foresee a player be, that's worth any of those guys being available. Um I, I think what it's really going to come down to is Rubio getting moved uh, along with the picks. Maybe that the disabled player exception uh, coming into effect there. I wouldn't be shocked if maybe someone like Kevin Pangos got thrown in with one of those deals to help make salary work and maybe open up a spot for Brandon Goodwin on the actual roster. Um, but I, I don't really foresee like the, the biggest shakeup in terms of you, you know, the, the the players that actually play part of the rotation because Cavs do have a good thing going on from a chemistry standpoint. Uh, obviously, there there is still room to bring in players that can contribute to what they have going on. But moving like a Kevin Love or even a Colin Sexton uh, or, or Isaac Okoro or Lowry, I, I just I can't see it at this deadline. It, it would really surprise me. And my guess would be that it, it would need to be a, a hell of a player to to part with any of those guys. And you think we're going to hold on to Lamar Stevens definitively? You think he should be considered to be untouchable or is he? A guy? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no one's going to value Lamar more than the Cavs. You, you got to keep Lamar. That's our dog. That's uh, well, we, we need, we need someone barking on the bench and, and you know, giving real good fill in minutes. I'm, I'm a big Lamar Stevens fan. He's been tremendous. I, I, every story about him off the court is uh, really, really cool as well. So uh uh, that's a that's a diamond in the rough that they found. Yeah, and I remember reading about his uh, children's book on his basketball journey last year. And to get to have one so at his good. age, so good. You don't get. I mean, Delhi Delhi's got one. J.R. Smith has one. But I mean, at his age, you know, he's done a lot. He went to several different high schools. He made his way. Also, let's just say this, and 
this is one of the only positives of there being no basketball for several months at the start of everything in March. If the pandemic does not happen and March Madness does, he becomes the best player in Penn State history by all stats, and he definitely gets drafted. We didn't get he didn't get a March Madness, and that's the only reason he went undrafted. If you look at his production, and sure, no one knows what position he was going to play, and he's playing three pretty much for the Cavs this year. Yeah. And, but we wouldn't have him, and I think that the, the success of this season – and the same could also be said of Dean Wade, whose impact has. If he didn't as- get injured, if he didn't get injured, uh, uh, like when uh, we we had Trevor Magnotti on on the podcast on draft night uh, that year, and uh, the news broke of Dean Wade being signed a, as an undrafted player shortly after the draft, and he said, "That's a that's like a late first round talent in, in this draft if he doesn't get hurt." And um, he, as a specialist, as someone that's always ready to fill in and whatnot, uh, Dean Wade ab- absolutely looks like that because. I mean, you, you look at late first round picks, what you're typically looking to get is, you know, like a solid rotation player that maybe that's where you, you bring in a, an older prospect that is a little more polished and he certainly fits that bill. Yeah, and my final question for you here, Justin, is what do you think the NBA future looks like for Dylan Windler? Because I definitely think he's touchable. I don't know who would want him based on his inconsistent health and production, but what do you think his NBA future holds? Because I'm really not sure myself, and I and I'm I'm kind of on the, in a point where I'm a little frustrated when he doesn't play, but also when he gets those minutes, I don't. And I'm I'm, gonna, I'm in the other boat. I don't know that he's doing enough to merit having them. Yeah, the the biggest thing for him, and it kind of reminds me of Duncan Robinson, his rookie year, is just like Duncan talked about it where he, he attributed it to like imposter syndrome where, Hey, like I, I just don't have the confidence to to shoot every time I touch the ball. And Dylan is just not getting shots up at, at the rate he needs to. And uh, until he kind of loses that conscience and, and just pulls anytime he has an open available three pointer, it, it's hard to imagine him sticking around. Like I, the, I like all the things that he does. I, I like that. He's a good rebounder for his position. I think he's, he can play active defense at times. Um, but my confidence in him as a rotation player has gone down. I'm just, I'm gone from skeptic to non-believer, but I, I certainly understand the skill set. I, I see it with him. Um, there are stretches where he looks like a really valuable contributor, so I wouldn't write it off. But reality is, like, you can only develop so many players at a time. It, you can, there's only so many minutes available, and I, I just don't know if it's going to work out uh, for Windler with the Cavs. Yeah, so I guess we'll see what ends up happening. I don't foresee him being traded, although they'll, they'll find a way. That you got a first round pick that should be somewhere in the lower 20s or high teens, depending on how the season ends up being, could go any which way, but that'll definitely be an asset that'll be worth parting with to get another player. But nonetheless, we have a lot to look forward to. We've got the trade deadline next Thursday. We're back in action tomorrow against the Hornets, who will try and beat the Cavs. A mellow ball, we'll hear his name a lot. And uh, Justin, it has been great having you on the show. Zach, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. And so for Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Podcast, I am Zach Weiss. This has been the latest installment of Across the Cavs, episode 98. Just a reminder, folks, we will be live next – not live, we'll have a podcast for you next Thursday following the conclusion of the trade deadline. You'll be able to listen around 6 p.m. Eastern. And the following Thursday, welcome Tim Alcorn for episode number 100. It'll be his third appearance, first of this season talking about his year so far it is now his third with the Cavs we're talking about that in addition to a couple other things you know all-star will be right then right there 
So until next time, this has been Across the Chaos.